So in this series, admittedly a bit nerdy at the front end here, in this series we're making what we're calling a cumulative case for why faith in Christ as Lord is a warranted faith. It's got good reasons for it. And in week one, we're in week three now, week one we made the case for the belief in the existence of uh, something that we would call a self-existent, spaceless, timeless, immaterial, and supernaturally powerful being, capital B, uh, that is a valid position to hold based on just extra-biblical things. Extra-biblical means outside of the Bible. Based on things like logic, science, math, astrophysics, and other cool nerdy words like that. Then in week two last week, we made the case that the New Testament, the Bible's Old and New Testaments, we made the case that the New Testament documents are reliable, they're trustworthy. And, and we said that based on evidence from history, from literary criticism, things like that. And both of those things that we've done were made outside of the scriptures. Um, today, we begin to open up the Bible and to use data from the scriptures. So today in week three, we get into them a little bit to show why Christians believe that the Bible comes from God himself. We call the Bible God's word. So our question today is, how do we know that the Bible is God's word? How do we know that the Bible is God's word? This is a question of of biblical authority. (laughs) Uh, We're going to talk about this word authority here and there a few times in this message. Everybody lives according to some sort of authority, known or unknown, you do. So we're going to talk about the Bible as the authority for Christians. How do we know the Bible is God's word to us So this is a question of biblical authority, and we're going to be using this basic thesis today. We'll break it down in a few assertions. The basic thesis is this. The authority of Scripture means that all the words in Scripture are God's words such that, in a way that means, to disbelieve or disobey them is to disbelieve or disobey God. The authority of Scripture means that all the words in Scripture are God's words such that to disbelieve or to disobey them is to disbelieve or disobey God himself. Um, Please note parenthetically for the nerds, we're not going to touch on how the Bible came to be. It's a process called canonization. We're not going to talk about the various ways that God worked through the human authors. We're dealing with the results of that process today. And we're going to make a case for the Bible as God's word that says that it is the objective true ground of not just our faith, but our entire life, because they are God's words. So we're making three main assertions. The first is this. All the words in Scripture are God's words. All the words in Scripture are God's words. Three lines of evidence for this particular assertion that says that all the words in Scripture are God's words. The first is this. This is what the Bible claims for itself. We're not just making this up out of nowhere, out of our experience. This is something we read there and we get from the scriptures itself. I want you to see here how amazingly well put together, uh, one might say supernaturally put together, uh, these scriptures are internally. There's an internal coherence to them, a unity. And, And so we Christians aren't just making this idea up that scripture is God's very word. We believe this because the Bible claims it for itself and proves that it's true as a unified and coherent whole. So, buckle up. Lots of examples. Some are from the Old Testament that make this claim that all of the Bible is God's words. In the Old Testament, thus saith the Lord, that's the KJV, the old way of saying it, thus says the Lord, appears hundreds of times. 
And that phrase would have been instantly recognizable to anybody reading it in that day as an intentional parallel to the phrase, thus says king such and such. That was the phrase that a king would use at the preface, at the beginning part of an edict from the king to the subjects in the kingdom. It was an edict that had to be obeyed. It couldn't be challenged. King such and such saith, therefore you believe it and you obey it. You didn't argue against it. That's just how it was. Thus saith the Lord happens hundreds of times in the Old Testament. Also in the Old Testament, God often spoke through prophets. Prophets are mouthpieces for God. He often spoke through prophets in a way that meant that what the prophet said in God's name was what God said. It carried the weight and the authority as if it came from God himself. This shows up in hundreds of places in the Old Testament. And so to disbelieve or to disobey the word of the prophets was said to be disbelieving or disobeying God himself. Now, we've not yet proven that all of the words in the Old Testament are God's words, but the cumulative force of what we just talked about, thus saith the Lord and a prophet speaking for God, the cumulative force of hundreds and hundreds of passages like those shows that within the Old Testament itself, we have written records of words that are said to carry the force, the weight, and the authority of God's very words. So, to show that all the words of the Old Testament are considered God's words, we need to go to the New Testament, which also claims that all of the Old Testament is God's very words. In the New Testament itself, there are 26 passages that very explicitly refer to the Old Testament as having the authority of God's very words. Not to even mention implicitly 830 that imply the same. So here are just two explicit examples from the New Testament that refer to the Old Testament as having the weight and authority of God's very words. 2 Peter 1 Verse 21, 2 Peter 1, 21 claims that the prophecies of the Old Testament, this is the New Testament speaking about the Old, the prophecies of the Old Testament are God's words. Apostle Peter said, no prophecy, no word spoken or written in the Old Testament, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The verb that Peter uses here for carried along is used to speak of a sail on a boat being filled with wind that empowers the boat to move. So when human authors were putting pen to paper, the Holy Spirit empowered them like that so that what they wrote were the words of God in terms of their weight and authority and the force with which they were to be heard and reckoned with. Peter is saying here that even though the Old Testament scriptures were written by And through human means and personalities, the ultimate source of every prophecy in the Old Testament was God himself working through the Holy Spirit. Peter acknowledges that that was the case. 2 Timothy 3.16. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all scripture is breathed out by God. Two things here. First, the word scripture there in 2 Timothy 3 is a technical term that's used by the New Testament writers to refer to written scriptures, in this case, the Old Testament. Every single time this term uh, for written scripture shows up in the New Testament, 51 times, that word refers to the written words of the Old 
Testament. So all the written words of the Old Testament, the New Testament says, were breathed out by God himself, except for two times that also apply to the New Testament. We'll show you that in just a second. Second thing to see here in 2 Timothy 3, 16, all scripture is God breathed, is to notice that he says all scripture is breathed out by God. And if he's talking about all written scriptures being breathed out by God, then breathed out, this breathing thing, is obviously a metaphor for speaking the words of Scripture, speaking the words that become written. This is why we say the Bible itself is inspired by God. It's breathed out by Him. Now those passages we've just looked at that we referred to only claim that the Old Testament writings were God's words. What about the New Testament? Well, the New Testament claims scriptural authority for itself. There are lots of examples of this. Here are two explicit ones. Number one, in 2 Peter 3, 15 and 16, Peter the Apostle, meaning he was an eyewitness to what happened with Jesus' uh, life, death, burial, resurrection. Peter the Apostle classifies all of Paul's letters on par with the other scriptures, he says. This is one of two explicit places like this in the New Testament. Peter writes this. He starts in verse 15. He says, And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him by God from the Holy Spirit, as he does in all his letters. So Peter was aware of his writings, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand. We're tracking, Peter. Which, are, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction. Then look at this. As they do the other scriptures. Peter himself, within the New Testament, classifies Paul's own writings, his letters, alongside what he calls the other scriptures which shows this is huge folks this shows that very early in the history of the church that paul's writings were considered at least by one of the apostles in the same sense as the old testament texts to have god's weight and authority to them as authoritative and coming from god himself also check this out first timothy 5:18 in first timothy 5:18 paul quotes from luke Chapter 10, verse 7, Paul quotes from Luke and he calls it scripture. He says, for the scripture says the laborer deserves his wages, which means among the New Testament writers themselves, there was a conscious awareness that what they were doing was in continuity with the Old Testament scriptures. They believed themselves to be adding to the Old Testament. Aside from those two explicit examples, the implicit examples, the things that are implied throughout New Testament go on and on and on. Paul, for example, very obviously considered his writings in addition to the scripture of the Old Testament. He says things like, what I'm writing to you is a command of the Lord. When you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. More than one time, he warns people not to disobey what he writes in his letters, he says, because it carries the weight of God's words. He said, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, not me, but God. He calls his own writings the gospel. He says, this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. Two times in the gospel of John, Jesus promises disciples that the Holy Spirit will bring to their remembrance all that he said to them 
And this promise found its fulfillment in their writings. In the book of Matthew, where he's writing to prove that Jesus is the Messiah, the promised Jewish Messiah, Matthew uses the phrase, it is written nine times, and the word fulfilled 12 times. He cites the Old Testament 68 times as a way of establishing that what he was writing was right in continuity with the Old Testament scriptures. In Luke 1, 1 to 4, he is consciously writing in the tradition of those who were, he says, ministers of the word. In the beginning of the Gospel of John, he begins by drawing an intentional and very obvious parallel with Genesis 1, knowing full well he is writing in continuity with the Old Testament scriptures in Genesis 1. At the beginning of the book of Revelation, John claims that his own written revelation of Jesus was given to him by an angel, a messenger from God, and he calls his writings prophecy. We could go on and on. This is worth noting because it's been common since the late 1800s and the early 1900s to say, well, the New Testament writers weren't intentionally trying to write the scriptures. They weren't self-consciously aware that what they were writing had the weight and authority of God's very words. But none other than the famous scholar today, N.T. Wright, agrees with us. He says it used to be said that the New Testament writers didn't think they were writing scripture. That is hard to sustain historically today, he says. The fact that their writings were, in various senses, occasional, meaning uh, they they were written to a certain context or location, which means they they can't possibly uh, apply to all people. That's what they used to say. The fact that their writings were, in various senses, occasional is not to the point that precisely those points of urgent need, when, for instance, writing Galatians or 2 Corinthians, Paul is most conscious that he is writing as one authorized by the apostolic call that he had received from Jesus Christ and in the power of the Spirit to bring life and order to the church by his own words. It is clear that the writers of the New Testament believed that what they themselves were writing and then what was written in the Old Testament was fully intended to be believed and obeyed as if coming from God himself. They believed themselves to be writing with exactly that kind of authority. Second of three reasons we believe that all the words in Scripture are God's words is because we are convinced of the Bible's claims to be God's words as we read the Bible. Track with me here. While we can show that the documents of the Bible are reliable, they're trustworthy, uh, we can hold them up to historical tests of accuracy like we did last week. We can show that they were written by eyewitnesses. We can even make argument after argument after argument that they are internally reliable, that they are trustworthy, that they are coherent, which they are. Those are helpful and useful inroads to faith in God. But it is ultimately, friends, the inner conviction of the Holy Spirit speaking in and through the Bible to our hearts in a way that confirms that it is our very creator, the God of the universe, who is speaking directly to us through it. We're not just making this up from the experience of Christians. This is an experience and an expectation that comes straight from the Bible. 1 Corinthians 2.14, Paul says this, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly, they're foolish to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Which is to say, without the Spirit of God in you, you will not understand the spiritually discerned truths of the Bible. This is part of how we know 
that the Bible is God's Word. Because it imparts spiritual truths, the natural man cannot see or hear. It's like this. This is what Jesus says in John 10, 27. This is so cool. Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So think of it like this. Imagine a huge group of a thousand sheep in this large valley. Covers the entire valley, a thousand sheep. And they're made up of small groups of many different smaller flocks. Okay? A thousand sheep made up of different flocks. All these thousand sheep are grazing in this valley, heads down, happy to just chew on grass all day. Okay? One particular shepherd shows up over yonder, and calls for his sheep. Here's how this works. <laughs> Only his sheep look up <laughs> and recognize the voice. The rest of them are content to sit heads down, chewing on grass. This is how it works with the Word of God. Only those with God's Spirit in them hear the words of Scripture as the voice of their shepherd and the creator of their souls speaking to them. So this is what we mean when we say we are convinced of the Bible's claims to be God's words as we read it. As we read it. Let's just in the goofy tension of the truth of statistics that show that upwards of 80% of self-proclaimed Christians in America get 100% of their content from me speaking to them for less than an hour a week. Where were we? We are convinced of the Bible's claims to be true, to be God's words, as we hear the shepherd of our souls talking to us, speaking to us, calling us through the Bible as we read it. This is why we say the things we've said so far. (laughs) um, Third part of saying all of Scripture is God's words. This is why we say the words of Scripture are what we call self-attesting. Another way people say it is self-authenticating. In other words, if the Bible claims to be God's word and it is confirmed as such in its external reliability, its internal trustworthiness and coherence, and ultimately confirmed by the inner assurance of reading it and hearing God's voice, then we can say that the words of Scripture are self-attesting, meaning they stand on their own as coming from God. Let me say it this way. Appeals to human logic, historical accuracy, scientific truth, all those kinds of things as the basis for saying the Bible contains God's words certainly help us make their case, but they do not finally convince, not because the Bible doesn't conform to those standards, because it does, but because there is no higher authority to which you can appeal when you claim that the Bible itself is the highest authority. What higher standard of truth can you use to verify that the words of Scripture are the highest standard of truth? None. So what we are saying ultimately is that the words of Scripture are required uh, to bear within themselves an evidence of divine 
origin. Parenthetically, yes, nerds, this is obviously a form of a circular argument. (laughs) So when you hear people say, you can't just justifiably call the Bible the word of God merely because it claims it and you believe it, you can go, that's true. No, duh. It's self-authenticating. You'll have to explain that some. (laughs) But they have the same problem we do, which is to say this. It's a problem for anybody making an argument for any higher standard of ultimate authority. And make no mistake, every human being who has ever lived on the planet always holds to a higher ultimate standard of authority. It's just that some people actually know what it is. Some of us here don't even know. So we're making the case that what needs to be the ground, the objective for all truth, ground of your, your authority in life is the word of God because it lasts forever. And so, so for us to say it's self-attesting isn't just our problem, it's everybody's problem. It's a problem for anyone making an argument for any standard of ultimate authority. It's like when somebody says, logical consistency is my authority. It is only logical to do so. That's a circular argument. Same problem. So the question is, how do we choose between competing ultimate authorities in our lives? Because make no mistake, every human being who's ever lived is living according to some sort of higher authority in their lives. Some just happen to be aware of it. So how do we choose between competing ultimate authorities in our lives? Duh, we test them. We test them. The overwhelming number of people walking on this planet who have no earthly idea what the ultimate standard in their life is, is because they don't even test it. What we're saying is the self-authenticating, the self-attesting nature of Scripture is that ultimately if you test this Word of God, you will find that it will commend itself as more persuasive, more helpful, more truthful than any other religious book, than any human intellectual system or construct. It's, It's more helpful than logic, human reason, sense experience, scientific methodology, All potential defeaters and completing claims to an ultimate authority will eventually show themselves to be inconsistent with reality at some point and in a way that disqualifies them and that will ultimately serve to show only in greater relief that the word of God is most fully in accord with what we know about the world around us and about ourselves and about all of reality. So, We're making a case that you should test it. Test the Bible for yourself to see if indeed it's the word of God. If it's indeed true, as we're saying today, it can handle your tests. It can handle your doubts. You're not that smart. (laughs) No, we're preaching. No, we're preaching. You're not that smart. If the Bible is what we're saying, you know nothing and compared to what God says about who you are and why you were created and why you're on this planet. Test it. It can handle it. So, back to the plan. If main assertion number one, that all of the words of Scripture are God's words, is true, then main assertion number two, therefore, 
to disbelieve or disobey any word of Scripture is to disbelieve, to disbelieve or disobey God himself. It's just, it's just a logical consequence of the first thing we've said. We don't have time to unpack this other than to say that, uh, that this is the next step. If all the words of Scripture are indeed God's words, then to disbelieve or to disobey any word of Scripture is to disbelieve or disobey God himself. To make the point practical, real quick, the most powerful preaching is not preaching that mostly proclaims one's own experience or that communicates one's opinions or that tells nice stories that make us feel good for a few minutes. It's preaching that explains what the Bible says and what the text means and that communicates that clearly so that the message justifiably holds its hearers to account as if it holds the weight and authority from God himself. So if all the words of Scripture are God's words, such that to believe or to disbelieve them is to believe or disbelieve God, or to obey or disobey God, then we can rightly say that all of the Scriptures are true, and there is no falsehood or error in them. All the scriptures are true, and there is no falsehood or error in them. The third main assertion today is about the truthfulness of scripture. This is important for us to establish, because if the case we're making today, that the objective truth and ground of our life is to be established on this scripture from God, then its truthfulness matters. It's important to establish this if we're going to base our entire lives upon the claims of Scripture. So see, three real quick and very simple uh, points here to make to establish this idea that, that Scriptures are an ultimate objective standard of truth. Number one, God cannot lie or speak falsely. Not, God cannot lie or speak falsely. Not only is this self-evident, like, duh, but Scripture itself makes this claim about God. Numbers 23:19 says God is not man that he should lie. David says to God, in, to God in 2 Samuel, your words are true. Psalm 119, 160 is representative of hundreds of times in the Psalms that say things like the sum, the whole of your word is truth. Romans 3, 4 says, let God be true, though everyone were a liar. Hebrews 6, 18 says it's impossible for God to lie. In Titus 1, 2, this is cool. In Titus 1, 2, it says God is the unlying God. It, it says he's the free from all deceit God. And actually a very literal translation of what Paul says there in Titus is it's so true of God, it's a title for him. He's the unlying God. He's the free from all deceit God. So because God cannot lie and because all of Scripture is spoken by him and are his words, then number two, therefore all the words in Scripture are completely true and without error in any part. Because God can't lie, all Scripture is spoken by Him, then all of Scripture must be likewise unlying as He is if it's going to be an accurate reflection of His character and nature. So, Scripture says this in a bunch of places. We find this affirmed many times in the Bible. Psalm 12:6. the words of the Lord are pure words. Like silver refined in a furnace in the ground, purified seven times, meaning they are completely True. Proverbs 35 says every word of God proves true. Not some, not most, not the ones I like. Every word of God proves true. Matthew 24:35 makes the point that God's words are forever true. 
Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away, Jesus speaking. If there were error in God's words at any point, in any form, in any degree, then his words could not be said to be forever true and trustworthy for our lives. Yet, this is exactly what we find claimed by the Bible itself, namely that God's words are fully trustworthy. They are completely true. They are without error. They last as true forever. And what this means is that God's written words are the ultimate standard of truth in ways that go far beyond our limited human understanding. God's written words are the ultimate standard of truth. Jesus verifies this claim himself in John 17, 17. This is a real cool little verse here. He is praying to the Father. He's praying for his people. And he says, sanctify them in the truth. Not just the people around him in that context, but for us today who are his people. Sanctify them in the truth, he says. Your word is truth. This is helpful for us in this verse because Jesus doesn't use the adjectives available to him for the word truth here, which was commonly used in the New Testament. Instead, he uses the noun to say that God's word is not merely true. He doesn't say God's word is, not, is merely truthful. He says God's word is truth itself. This is not a small difference because what it does is it makes clear that we are not to simply think of the Bible as being true because it conforms to a higher standard of truth, but it calls us to think of the Bible itself as the ultimate standard of truth. The reference point from which and by which all truth claims are to be measured. That applies to you, by the way. And not just some objective, syllogistic, in my philosophy book, idea. The Bible itself is the ultimate standard of truth and the reference point by which all truth claims are to be measured. And that applies to us. So what conforms to Scripture is true. What does not conform to Scripture is not true. It's like what we say a lot around here. The Bible tells us who we are. The Bible tells us why we were created. God's words tell us why we were put on this earth. And we filter our lives, our resources, our experience, through the lens of what God says about us in his word and not the other way around. God's word was given to us to interpret us. It is the objective ground. It is the standard for our thinking. It is not the other way around. You do not interpret the scriptures. It interprets you. If you're listening, if you're hearing, if the shepherd of your soul is something you're experiencing as we read it. Earlier, uh, we hinted at the idea that the Bible is uh, amazingly well put together, (laughs) Um, which it is. And even though today we have only touched on the amazing internal coherence and unity of the Bible, um, we can, I think, at least make this claim clearly. Listen carefully. This is cool. When you consider that the Bible is 66 books written over the span of 1,600 years 
by over 40 authors on three continents in three languages, and yet it communicates a coherent narrative that corresponds to reality. It is clear who the author really is. This kind of unity and coherence is humanly impossible. Two of us can't decide to agree. And we're married to each other. I'm sorry, Dogny, that was not in the notes. This kind of unity and coherence is humanly impossible. It's impossible. About what other single book in all of history can you make such a claim? Nothing comes remotely close. We Christians believe that that kind of unity and coherence is only possible in a book put together by a self-existent, spaceless, timeless, immaterial, and supernaturally powerful being called God. And he superintends a process of speaking his word into existence from his mind and heart to these pages and into our hearts. This is why we call the Bible God's holy word. Let's pray, friends. Father in heaven, forgive us for listening to other shepherds, for living and acting and thinking as if our standards are how we should think about and interpret you and what you have for us. Forgive us. Correct us. Give us, Lord, um, a desire to hear from you in your holy word uh, so that we would come into contact with your son, Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, uh, to conform our thoughts and hearts to the truth that you tell us in your word that its story would become our story so that we would recognize that we have been in rebellion against you and that it's only because of what you've done to make up for our mess and to to account for us before us in sending Jesus who was perfect, sinless, righteous, who lived that life for us that we couldn't and that he died on the cross to save us from our own sins. Father, thank you for going ahead of us and keeping your word pure so that we could read about you and have a relationship with you through it. Father, we ask that you would, through your Holy Spirit, continue to speak to us as the shepherd of our souls. So as we go to you from day to day, we would let who you are tell us who we are. In the name of your Son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.